Well, welcome to tonight. Like Pastor mentioned, uh, we're going to be going to Abuja, Nigeria in November, and he's going to be teaching for 12 hours on the spirit, uh, life in the spirit. And I'm going to be teaching on prayer. And the Lord gave me this title, I believe, Lord, teach us to pray. And I'm glad that all of you come tonight because I know sometimes we feel like, well, do I really need to learn any more about praying? Isn't praying just help God? I'm in trouble. Or isn't praying just, I got a bill. Lord, you've got mail. I've got an email that says this and that. Isn't that praying? Not really. I mean, God said that his ears are open to the cries and the prayers of his people. So that's awesome to know. But there's also some keys that we need to walk in that will help us have a fruitful and productive prayer life. How many of you want to get more proficient in your praying? Is your cry the same cry that the disciples said when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. We have no, no one in this building tonight has arrived. Our spiritual father used to say, if you think you have arrived, you probably haven't even left yet. So none of us know everything there is to know about the subject of prayer. And sometimes when you say you're going to teach on prayer or you call a prayer meeting, the crowd gets real slim because they're like, eh, you know, I want to know how to prosper. I want to know this thing and that thing that will help me in my life. Well, you know what? If you learn to pray, you're going to be helped because <laughs> prayer, successful prayer is really the foundation of any successful Christian life or any Christian endeavor. It's vital that we know how to pray. Can I get an Amen. amen. So let's look over at Luke chapter 1. I'm sorry, at Luke 11, verse 1. And this is where the disciples came to Jesus. Now it came to pass as he was praying. Who is that? The Lord Jesus. As he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Wow, that was something. Lord, can you teach us? How to pray as John also taught his disciples. So when I read that passage right away, it makes me think that, that these disciples saw something. They heard something. They probably felt something in the way that Jesus prayed that made them realize, hmm, he's got something we ain't got. He knows something that we probably don't know yet. So we want him to teach us how to pray and to commune with our heavenly father like he is. And that's like they, like Jesus is. That should be our heart's cry. Lord, show me what I don't see. Everybody raise one hand right now and say that with me. Lord, show me what I don't see. Then this one, Lord, teach me what I don't know. How about this one? Lord, give me revelation knowledge through your word and by your spirit. Amen. 
a man of God once said this. He said, it's more important that men learn to pray than that we gain a college education. Now, notice that he did not say that having a college education is not important. It is important. You should get as much education as you possibly can in your field and and pursue your goals and your dreams. But what he is saying was this. Education is training our mind. That's good. That's necessary. But prayer is training your spirit. Training your spirit to hear and to respond to the promptings of the Holy Ghost. When you put both of those elements together, you are going to have an explosive power for God. Amen. And that's what we are after. We can all grow and develop in our prayer life. And can I get another witness in here? Amen. So Jesus, in this passage, when they ask him... Lord, teach us to pray. He went on and he gave them a model for prayer called the Lord's Prayer. Now, this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, was never meant to become a religious prayer. It was never meant for the masses to just around the world just recite that with no life and with no meaning. He was just showing them that you need to have these principles in place when you go to pray. Like we were just singing, hallowed be thy name. Our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be that thy name. That is saying you are holy and you are the most high God. And we acknowledge that when we pray. Who are we praying to? We're not praying to a dead God, are we? We're praying to our most high God. So he went on in this prayer just to give them a pattern. But he was in no way, fashion or form saying that this is how you're supposed to pray. That you're supposed to memorize prayers and just go through these rituals. I know that people have, you know, their little prayer lists and those things. And that's all right. That's fine. Start there. But we need to get to the place where we're praying out of our heart, not off of a piece of paper or out of our head. In another place, Jesus warned the disciples about praying like the Pharisees and the Sadducees of that day. That passage is found in Matthew chapter six. And we'll look at beginning at verse five. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. They were doing things not to bring glory and honor to God, but they wanted people passing by to say, Ooh, look how religious they are. Look how pious they are. Wow, they must really know God. No, he's called them a hypocrite because they weren't praying out of their heart. They were praying out of ritualism. And he went on to tell how we are supposed to pray. Verse six. But when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in a secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. 
Now, this is not saying that it's wrong to pray in a public setting. We know that's not the case. We'll see scriptures later on in this class. If y'all come back to your class on Sunday night, uh, we'll see things about corporate prayer and united prayer. He wasn't saying that you can't pray in a public in a public setting to be not, you know, so people don't see you. But he was emphasizing that these guys were in spiritual pride and they were just doing something from rote memory and ritualism. They were not doing it to honor God, but they were doing it to put on a show. They wanted people to look at them and say, oh, aren't they something God wasn't impressed and he's never impressed if people do things to be seen by man, whatever we do under the Lord, he wants it to do us to do it from our heart, whether it's praying, whether it's serving, whatever it is, we are to do things as unto the Lord, not looking and not seeking the praise and the approval of man. Now, if you serve in this church, thank you. We applaud you. We appreciate it. But it's not going to be every Sunday that we run around from classroom to classroom and thank the people and bow down and tell them how awesome they are. Because I know they are doing this service as unto the Lord. And then he goes on. Jesus goes on and says something here in verse 7 that's important. He says, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions. As the heathen do, getting into all of this moaning and this reciting and physical gyrations and all of that stuff. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Think about the masses right now around the world that are bowing to dead gods. And even some of them are doing weird things, thinking they can get the attention of God. They're repeating these prayers that they were taught to pray when they were a kid, but they're even praying to a God that cannot hear. It reminds me, you know, of when Elijah and the prophets of Baal, he was so calm, cool, collected, and confident. But these guys were cutting themselves. They were screaming. They were hollering, oh, Baal, oh, Baal, oh, Baal, where are you, Baal? But you know what? He didn't hear him because he's dead. He wasn't real. He's not alive. But someone who does know their God, like the prophet Elijah, he said in a calm voice, Lord, I'm not asking on my behalf. I know how real you are. But so those that are around that they may know that you are the true and the living God. Hear my prayer. God showed up and he showed up in a big way, didn't he? He dug that trench around the sacrifice, put water in it. The fire from heaven came, licked up the water and consumed the sacrifice. That was not a vain, repetitious prayer. That was a prayer that was alive and a prayer that was confident in his God. And that's where we can get to when we know who we are and whose we are and we know his word. So vain repetitions are not impressive to God. He wants heartfelt prayer. 
And I believe also in this passage where we just read, he said, don't be like the hypocrite standing in the synagogue, standing out on the street corner in their religious pious pose. I can't do it as good as pastor did today, but he was praying, thou goddest, most highest, most holiest God. That's what they probably sounded like. They were probably saying something like, thou holiest, fatherest. Thou knowest I am the most awesomest and I'm the most worthiest to receivest thy blessings. That's probably what they were doing. That's vain repetitions. That's spiritual pride. And God's not into that. He don't want us to get into that. And he was also, I believe, addressing the fact that they were probably standing like this. Did you know that there is not such a thing? As a prayer position or a prayer pose, you don't have to be standing. You don't have to have your hands like this. You don't have to be kneeling. You don't have to be laying down. It's not about our physical position, but it's about our heart condition. Prayer is not about your physical position, but it is about your heart condition that just came to me the other day when I was praying you know that's so true because you can pray your car can be a sanctuary and you definitely don't want to take your hands off of the wheel and get down in the floor and kneel when you're driving your car don't take that kind of a prayer pose stay behind the wheel but your heart can be communing with him whatever you're doing wherever you're going On the job, you can be in heart communion with the Lord. Amen. Amen. Prayer is not vain repetitions. It's not a shot in the dark. It's not wondering if God hears us. It's not being unsure if we'll get an answer. It's not one of these, well, you just never know what God might do. Sometimes he says, no. Sometimes he says, maybe. Sometimes he might occasionally say yes. Many times he says, wait a while. You just never know. That's not praying. That's not praying in faith. That's not praying. Praying in boldness and confidence. The Lord does hear and answer prayer when it is based upon his word. Amen. Doesn't have to be a shot in the dark. There are some believers that have been disappointed and they've been disillusioned about prayer. Maybe they prayed and they, uh, the prayer didn't happen or it wasn't answered in the way that they expected it to be answered. And they back off. They shy from even praying because they say it's a waste of time. It didn't work. But that is never, ever the case. The problem is not on God's end. It's never on God's end. But it can be on ours. If we prayed prayers that we didn't see come to pass, it could either be because it was a a lack of knowledge. We prayed something outside of his will, outside of the word. Or this is a big one. Or we didn't hold fast. 
We didn't stand in faith. Sometimes if a prayer isn't answered instantly, people think, well, it's not God's will. It's not going to happen. Many times that is not the case. Again, our spiritual father, Brother Hagin, used to say this. The bigger you ask, the longer you better be prepared to stand. Why is that? God is not the withholder. He's not saying, oh, that's huge. And it's going to take me a long time to work on that. No, he's not the withholder. But we do have an enemy. And his name is the devil. And he opposes all that God stands for. He doesn't want you to get blessed. He doesn't want your loved ones to get saved. He doesn't want your body to be healed. So when you ask in this arena, you have to be prepared prepared to stand and to fight the good fight of faith and not take your faith off of the line. Amen. God's not the withholder, but there is an opposing force that we have to know how to deal with, which we'll see in the word of God. So those are some of the things that prayer is not. But this is one, some things that prayer is. Prayer is fellowship and communion with him, the father. And then I like this. Prayer is joining forces with God and carrying out his will on the earth. Doesn't that excite you? It does me. That when I pray an effective prayer, that means I can come into harmony and into agreement with the Father's will. Not just for my life, but what He wants to do in the earth. What He wants to do in the Bay Area. Me praying can be joining forces with Him, with the angels in heaven, with all that that He has offered us, the resources of heaven, joining and connecting with the Father's desire, and then us speaking it out in the earth. Prayer is like a circle. It begins really from Him. God has things that He wants you to have happen in your life. God's got desires that He wants to see happen on the earth. One is He's not willing that any should perish. He desires that all men should come to repentance. Well, how does that come to pass? Uh, Certainly by us witnessing, but really by us praying. So he's got this desire. He puts it into our heart and we hook up with his desire and we begin to speak it out into the earth. That's joining forces with heaven. What a joy and what a privilege. Now, let's just look tonight at some other criteria about prayer that will help us to pray effectively. Anybody interested in that? And with that assurance that we get answers, this would be our golden text for this series. And it is found in John chapter 15. We're going to begin reading at verse one and we're going to read all the way through verse seven out of the New King James. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. 
every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5. I am the vine. Let's read that one together. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Verse 7. If you abide in me. And my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire. And it shall be done for you. Keep that verse up there. Let's count how many times you is in this verse. If you. All right, all you accountants, help me count. If you abide in me and my words abide in. You. Will ask what you desire and it shall be done for five times. The word you is mentioned in this passage of scripture. It's telling us that you are the subject of this scripture, not God. And that you are the one that has a responsibility to getting what you ask of him. God's got done his part, hasn't he? He's given us Jesus. He's given us his word. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us all of heaven's resources. He's given us authority over the devil. All that we need to be successful. All that we need to get our prayers answered. But this is telling us it's up to us. We got to do some things. We got to abide in him. We got to let his word abide in us. Then we can ask what we will and it shall be done. This entire passage is teaching us how to bear fruit. Are you a fruit bearing Christian? I did not say, are you a flaky Christian? I said, are you a fruit bearing Christian? In every area of your life, we are to bear fruit. Pastor talked about the fruit of the spirit this morning. We're to be having love hanging on our tree. Kindness, joy, gentleness, patience. And we are also to have prayer fruit showing up. In our life. Answers to prayer. And he lays out in this passage. Two conditions. In this passage. That will cause us to have a fruitful. And a productive prayer life. Everybody still here? Anybody else hot? Oh man I'm hot. (laughs) 
All right, we're okay then, whatever. I'll just receive it as the anointing, but I'm hot. Anyhow, two conditions. You abide in me and my words abide in you. Now let's go back and let's examine this passage. Who is the vine? Class, who's the vine? No, who is the vine? Jesus. Look at the first verse. Verse 1, I am the true vine. Who is that talking? Jesus. It's in red in your Bible class. Jesus said, I am the vine. All right, now you know the answer to this one. Who are the branches? Point to yourself. Point to your neighbor and say, you're a branch. You're branchy. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. And then he goes on to tell us. That a branch gets its source of life from the vine. Have you ever been up to Napa? I didn't say what you do up in Napa. But have you ever drawn through Napa and seen the vineyards? Or how about this one? You ever visited a fruit orchard? But vineyards are a good illustration of grapes. Because they have a vine and they got little branches that produce little grapes. That you're supposed to eat as fruit and not drink. Oh, well, that's all I'm saying. But anyhow, so when there, <laughs> so the vine is connected to the branch is connected to the vine. And if it isn't, there's not going to be any fruit. Honey, you're help us, Jesus. We have a little minor flood on the front row. Anyhow. Okay, I'm sorry, but it was pouring out. So anyhow, you've never seen a branch laying on the ground, blooming, or having fruit on it, if it's cut off from the vine. Anybody in here ever seen that? No. And you never will. Because it has to stay connected to produce fruit. And if we cut ourselves off, From daily communion with him. Who's the vine? Class, who's the vine? Jesus. If we cut ourselves off from daily communion with the vine, we won't produce fruit either. Now, I want to look at verse 4 out of the Amplified. It says it even better here. Dwell in me and I will dwell in you. Live in me. And I will live in you just as no branch can bear fruit of itself without abiding in and being vitally united to the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. We are driving this point home. We can't answer our own prayers. We can't heal ourselves. We can't make things happen in our life. It's got to be through our communion and our union with him. The presence of God, he says, abide in me. It ought to be our home, our place of abiding. It ought to be the place where we live and where we are comfortable in the presence of the Lord. That reminds me when you know over in Psalms 91, what does it say in the verse verse one? He that dwelleth 
in the secret place of the Most High. He that dwelleth, he that abideth in the secret place of the Most High. Under the shadow of the Almighty. I'll say of the Lord, he's my refuge. What is that telling us? There is a dwelling place that brings peace. In his presence, there's protection. In his presence, there is provision. How many of you are living in that secret place? You're comfortable there. It's your home. Hopefully you are comfortable in your home. You can go home there and you can relax. You can have rest. You've got peace there. That's how we ought to be in the Lord's presence. Is it home to you? You don't have to be awkward coming into his presence. We belong there. We are the righteousness of God. We are bought with the blood of Jesus. And we can come into his presence without any sense of guilt or unworthiness. That causes us to pray with boldness and confidence. Because we know. How many of you know? You know that you know you're born again. You know that you know that God is your father and his presence is your home. Now let's look at verse 7 out of the Amplified. If you live in me. Here it is again. Abide. Look at this passage. Vitally united to me and my words remain in you. And continue to live in your hearts. Ask whatever you will. And it shall be done for you. The phrase there. Vitally united to me. The word vital means this. Essential to life. We have any people here that work in the medical profession. If somebody is really ill and they bring them into emergency, you know what they do? They check their vital signs. What are they looking for? They're looking for a sign of life. They're checking their vitals. Let me ask you a question. How are your spiritual vital signs? Do you have a heartbeat? Do you have a pulse? Are you strong? Or are you barely hanging on? If we're barely hanging on and we're just living out in the world as far as we think we can get by and still be saved, that's not vitally united to the vine. And there won't be any fruit In our life, because we're not getting from the life source what we need to sustain our Christian life and to bear much fruit. Now, you all know my story of growing up on a farm, and I've told this here before, but I'm going to tell it again. On our farm, we had lots of trees. We had oak trees. We had elm trees. These were big, strong trees. And I loved to climb trees when I was a kid. Just ran all over 160 acres, and that was one of my favorite things to do. 
was to climb trees and get up there and have a, a good view of the property. It was just awesome. But we also had a fruit orchard. And in this orchard, we had apple trees. That was, we had a lot of apple trees and we had peach trees. And my dad would tell us, especially now when it was getting close to harvest time, don't climb on the fruit trees. Don't climb on the apple trees. And I think maybe it was that same devil that tempted Eve, you know, to eat the apple. That devil would come and just say, doesn't that apple tree look just awesome? You need to climb that tree. And we would get tempted and we would yield and we would do it. And we'd get up there in those trees and they weren't as strong as the oak tree and the elm tree. And you get out on a branch and you'd hear crack. When we'd hear that crack, we'd jump off real quick, hoping that we hadn't done any damage and nobody would notice. But you know what? When it would come about harvest time, they might get a little bit of blooms on there. You know, fruit trees bloom before there's actual fruit there. And there could be maybe some leaves, but hardly any blooms. And then harvest time would come. The whole tree could just bear tons of fruit. Apples everywhere. Peaches everywhere. But we'd have these little branches, one or two, that didn't have anything on them. And my dad would say, wonder what happened to that branch. No idea. It's an unsolved mystery. No. (laughs) I think he always knew what happened. But these branches, sometimes they'd get a lot of leaves on them, maybe even a little bit of flowers, but never any fruit. They were just getting enough sap, enough life out of the trunk of that tree to barely produce anything. You know, it always makes me think about some Christians, hopefully no one here, and I don't believe that it is, but some Christians that their lives are just full of, they're leafy and they're bushy. They're a bunch of hot air and religious jargon, but no actual fruit and no actual power. I don't want to be one of those, do you? I want to be one that's vitally united and connected to him and obvious that I am bearing much fruit. How about you? That's what his desire is for us, that we would bear much fruit. And that comes through abiding in him. And then it also comes through another thing. We looked at that passage. Let's look at it again. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. Notice there is the word and after abide. Abide in me. And, come on class, what is and? And is a conjunction. And what does a conjunction do? It joins the previous statement with the upcoming statement. So he is saying here 
Not only do you need to abide in me, but if you will let what? And my words abide in you. So it's another abiding. We're abiding in him, but we also have to meditate on the word of God and let this word dwell in us richly. Abide in us. Again, our spiritual father, Brother Hagin, used to say, find a scripture that covers your case. And then you will be assured when you pray that you're going to get what you ask for. What do you mean find a scripture? Well, if you believe in for healing, isn't that pretty easy to find some scriptures that say that Jesus bore our sickness and disease? The stripes upon his back were for our healing. How about you're believing for someone in your family to be born again? Well, you know the word on that abiding in you. He's not willing that any should perish for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So we let these words Abide in us. Then we know when we pray, we get what we're asking for. And we're going to get into more detail about that. But it's so important that we know the will of God. His word is his will. If you had a very wealthy relative... That died and they left you something and the attorney called you up and said, you need to get down here to my office. We've got the reading of the will and grandpa left you his beautiful car or whatever it is. You get down there. (laughs) That, That could really happen. It could happen. And you get down there to the attorney's office and it is written. Grandpa willed you his beautiful antique car and you got other relatives that start coming in and they start saying you know i'd like to have that car and you don't want to be ugly about it but the attorney should take your side and say well i'm sorry it is written in the will that car belongs to Lester and nobody else is going to get it because it's written in the will. We would be tenacious about it. What would we say? It is written in the will. Well, we ought to be that tenacious about this will. When the devil comes and says, you're not going to get this. You can't have that. No. When his word is abiding richly in us, we're going to stand up and say, it is written. That belongs to me. The word is abiding in me on that. And you're not taking it away from me. Amen. That's how we find out what God's will is by getting in his word. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Do you know what the word says? Do you know? Thus saith the Lord. If you don't, you can school yourself into faith by looking into the word of God. By spending time 
in his wonderful presence. Amen. Well, that's enough for tonight.